0: This show is not a substitute for professional counseling and no relationship is created between the show hosts or guests and any listener. If you feel you are in need of professional mental health and are a UA student, we encourage you to contact the UA Counseling Center at 348-3863. If you are not a UA student, please contact your respective county's crisis service hotline or their local mental health agency or insurance company. If it is an emergency situation, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.
1: 6 o'clock in time again for Brain Matters, the official radio show of the UA Counseling Center. We are broadcasting from the campus of the University of Alabama. Good evening. My name is Dr. B.J. Gunther, and I'm the host of the show, along with my colleague and producer, Catherine Howell. And in case you don't know, this show is about mental and physical health issues that affect uh, college students, and in particular, UA students. So you can listen to us each Tuesday night at 6 p.m. on 90.7 FM, or you can listen online at wvufm.ua.org. And you can also download the MyTuner radio app and type in WVUA-FM 90.7. Listen to us that way. I'm always asking, every week I always ask for ideas for upcoming shows. We're midway through the semester. I think tonight is our sixth or seventh show and we'll probably need ideas definitely for the fall shows. We don't do shows in the summer so we'll finish up our spring semester uh, at the end of April and the beginning of May. So if you have ideas for any shows that you want to hear about, Email the, email those ideas to me at Brain Matters Radio at wbuafm.ua.edu, and I'll consider using your show topic idea. Also, if you have questions for our guests tonight, email those to me, and um, we'll take them and try to answer them here on the air. Tonight's topic, you know. I can't remember, Catherine. Maybe you can remember. It's been a long time since we've done a show on ADHD, and I don't know why, because it's pretty prevalent here on our campus, or I'll say with the students I see. And um, I know we've done shows in the past over the 10 years that we've done this show about ADHD, so I don't think it would be bad to actually revisit it every year, actually, because there's always something trending. In fact, I heard of a new medication from a student this past week, and I'd never heard of this before, and now I can't even remember the name of it. If you called it, I would know it. But um, tonight, our topic is Your your Brain's Not Broken, Strategies for Navigating Your Emotions in Life with ADHD. That's actually a title of a book written by our guest, and I'm going to get to her introduction in just a minute. But on one hand, you might feel relieved after learning that the symptoms you've experienced are because of a medical condition. On the other hand, you might feel scared as there's still a lot of stigma attached to ADHD. But thankfully, that is changing. And for many people living with ADHD means adopting new tools to help them manage their symptoms, which helps them to thrive in their emotional health, personal relationships, and their careers. My guest tonight is Dr. Tamara Rozier. Let me see if I can say that again. It's been a long day here at the Counseling Center. We're coming up on spring break. Let's see. In less than two weeks, and it cannot get here soon enough. (laughs) Just admit that. Dr. rosier is the author of Your Brain's Not Broken: Strategies for Navigating Your Emotions and Life with ADHD. She's also the founder of the ADHD Center of West Michigan. Thanks for being here again. I appreciate it. It's you're on Eastern Time Zone, so you're a little later over there, and so I know it's a little bit harder. Your days been probably a little bit longer than mine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah and we just
2: had an I, I live in michigan and we just had an ice oh, storm yeah. yesterday yeah so where's it we're doing
1: all kinds of clearing up and yeah it's
2: a, it's it's, it's bad
1: i've been watching i watch the weather channel every morning when i wake up and um yeah it's pretty bad an ice storm is worse than the blizzard that's out in the other part of the co- the western yeah. part of the country i think because yeah. ice you know there's probably a lot of uh, power outages i would imagine what oh. part of michigan are you in uh, I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I run the ADHD
2: Center of West Michigan. Yes. And uh, yes, and I live about 45 minutes outside of Grand Rapids. So, I believe
1: our, our executive director is
2: from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Well, it's a great place to be from. So, yes.
1: He's a wonderful person. Um, You know, tell the listeners, I gave a little bit of introduction for you, but tell the listeners about yourself, your credentials, and why you're interested in this topic. Yeah. So, well, first of all,
2: I have an ADHD resume, right? I started teaching high school, uh, and I taught English for eight years, and then I as many ADHD people do, I have ADHD, I thought, okay, well, I, I love teaching, but I'm bored with that right now. So I went to be a college professor, and that's where I got my PhD. And I taught educational psychology and a lot of teaching prep courses for under, undergrad teachers. Um, I taught a few grad courses here and there. And then um, it's about eight years, and then I left higher education and then started the ADHD center. Uh, ADHD uh, has affected every nook and cranny of my life. And if you have ADHD, I just want your listeners to know, no, you didn't grow out of it. Yes, someone else in your family most likely has it. And no, your brain's not broken. But you need to understand that it works very differently. Mm -hmm. And I, I wrote the book, Your Brain's Not Broken, just because I wanted people to... It's almost a, a love letter to people. I know that sounds corny, but so that they understand, like
1: it's you're it's not broken. But, but and you and have an actual operating system. Well, and actually and I wanted to talk about this article that I read. Um, I got it, I cannot remember where I got it from. Um, but I always read some articles and do a little bit of research before the shows. And I, I really like the title six strengths and benefits of ADHD, because you're always hearing about the negative part of it, yeah. you know, and this article was so positive and really interesting to talk yeah. about, like, what are the benefits? There are benefits of having ADHD. There aren't. And I'm sorry.
2: I'm just, I, I don't need to be oppositional right out of the gates with you. Um, I, I have ADHD um, and I also know what the research says. And the research says that there's really no gifts that come with ADHD. Everything that is a strength in an ADHD person is something that either character put there or it's a personality strength. Um, It's not, ADHD itself is not a strength. And here's why, I live every day with ADHD. I'm considered high functioning. And darn it, I hate being in my own brain a lot of the time. Um, People with ADHD have executive function issues, as you know, which means we have short-term memory issues. We have working memory issues. Oh, and guess what? The whole book is about emotional regulation issues. This is such a heavy burden to carry with ADHD that we need to start taking it seriously. So I know a lot of people... Want to just kind kind of fly that freak flag and go,
1: Yay! I'm gifted. I have ADHD. It's not a gift. No. Whatever is good in you. Actually, actually, I hear the opposite, and that's why I brought it up because I yeah. the opposite. I feel like it's been patholo- patho- pathologized so yes. much so that some of these students who come in here and talk to me, they feel broken, like your title, the title yes. of your book, right? So, so I'm in the middle. Yeah, and so I'm like, it's not
2: a gift. It's exhausting. And, and I will say, I, I talk about this in the book. It's exhausting to be a person with ADHD in the modern world. Put me back in a survival situation, I'll feel thrilled. But I will, I'm kind of in the middle of it's a neurological difference. Yes. So let's just put it right back in. And, and I love that you have a positive heart and want to be positive. And I'm sorry, I just kind of came out. Of... No, no, and, no, I'm still gonna, I'm,
1: no. I'm still going to challenge you because it, I, I, I understand ADHD is a neurological issue. But some of the benefits are very creative students. I've met very creative students and they're struggling. Don't get me wrong. I'm not taking that away yep. from their struggle. And that's why they come in here. Yeah. But but they're also being told by other people like teachers and parents, mm-hmm. and and their friends, yeah. that they talk too much or that you know I mean you've probably heard that and and so I try to put a spin on it being their therapist. So what? Yeah. So what the, if they're taking medication, you know. So what? ED chief people bring and resilience too. Yep. Well, I mean, here's the thing.
2: It were a gift of ADHD, we would see it with everyone, right? Yeah, so whenever you see resilience, you're like, Look, you're doing you're running this race, even though you started out way behind, and good for you, yeah, because there's something it's not ADHD that's giving it to you, you're digging deep and getting it elsewhere, yeah. And so now, the there is a neurological difference, ADHD folks tend to be divergent thinkers, which means. We look creative. But in my book, I talk about how we have to manage that divergent thinking and be careful with that because, um, you know, that's how we end up in down in rabbit holes. So my divergent thinking can make me look like a genius. Yes. I like I, I put two things together that people hadn't thought of. And they're like, wow, that's great. But then I'm also crawling down rabbit holes on the Internet. And that's both that's divergent thinking, too. Yeah. An example, how divergent thinking is just a neurological difference. It's not a gift or a curse. It's just how we
1: use it. Does that make sense? It makes sense. It is it inevitable. I'm just going to ask you point blank. Is it inevitable for someone who is and how old were you when you were diagnosed? Oh, not till way old so you were able to compensate your whole life probably even though it was probably a struggle
2: yeah and maybe after the break we can talk about um the six unhealthy ways people compensate um because i used all of them uh to get through my phd process
1: is it inevitable that someone has to be prescribed medication uh no okay Um,
2: i take the i take the viewpoint um if you're nearsighted and you need glasses, it just makes <laughs> life a lot easier. Um, so I don't shame people for not treating it with meds. I don't shame people for treating it with yeah. meds. It's really your choice. I do think it levels the playing field. Um, if you're specifically, if you're working on a degree, um, you you take it and process information differently, Yes, many times more accurately on medication.
1: Well, and and the issue, I guess it's happening nationwide, is the shortage of Adderall. In case people don't know, there is a shortage of Adderall. Right. And I think I'm having some students come in panicking. Mm -hmm. So
2: for those students, first of all, Adderall, I got to tell you, Adderall is an old drug. Um, It's like using an ax to cut a bread, a loaf of bread. Like, yeah, it works. It cuts the bread, but you kind of mangled the bread. So I, I really like the more elegant, um, I, like Concerta. Um, well, Vymanse is different, mm-hmm. but there's there's different. Jernay. Jernay is a magical little drug that you can take at night. Mm-hmm. sits in your stomach. You wake up fully medicated. There you go. Like, that's like LASIK surgery for those of us who wear glasses. You just wake up and you can see. So um, there's there's more sophisticated delivery
1: mechanisms of the stimulants that are more reliable anyway. I think some medical doctors get used to prescribing the same things. Yeah, that's what I see on campus, especially. Yeah, and
2: in Adderall's just it's just really harsh on your system because you have a
1: quick uptake and you have a quick um, when it leaves your Crush. body basically a crash yeah it is exhausting did you know um do you know the new medication that i mentioned that i cannot remember the name of do you does that ring a bell uh yeah does it start with an x like a Zilux? maybe yeah um i i can't it's not easy to pronounce and that's why i'm not thinking about it but that was my first student who's been prescribed that and you know i just wonder if I have had students who have tried to come off of medication, you know, and then eventually have to go back on it or or choose to go back on it, you know, after a year or so. Yeah.
2: Well, and there's no shame. There's no, No. yes. I I have to tell you um, I've been careful about my stimulant today because by the way, stimulants, you know, like Adderall, Concerta, they've worked for about 80% of us with ADHD. Well, that's really cool. And that's a simple fix. So today, because I had this interview, I've kind of managed my stimulant
1: so that I have enough energy and very hard to talk to you tonight. Well, and that you'll be able to go to sleep tonight, too, you know, because I have students who they're trying to, you know, maybe they've been diagnosed, maybe they have compensated um, and made it this far without a diagnosis. And then they've been diagnosed here while they're at school. And then they're placed on medication, and it's just a jolt, no pun intended, to their system. And, um, you know, they're given maybe two doses, one for the morning and one for the afternoon. And they really, the, the medical doctors sometimes just leave it up to them to judge what they need. Yeah. And none of this is okay. None no, of this it's is scary. Okay. Yeah. None of this should work like this. So, yes. Well, and when I first started working here many years ago, I mean, Adderall was a a big-time recreational drug, big-time. It it probably still is, but we're trying to do a better job here on this campus of um, requiring testing. Yeah. Yeah before you are prescribed medication. I hope people are listening to that. Let's take our first break, you mentioned it. Let's take our first break break, and then when we come back, let's talk about those six unhealthy ways that people compensate, because I can't wait to hear this. So come back and you're listening to Brain Matters on 90.7 The Capstone. WVUA-FM, Tuscaloosa.
0: This show is not a substitute for professional counseling and no relationship is created between the show hosts or guests and any listener. If you feel you are in need of professional mental health and are a UA student, we encourage you to contact the UA Counseling Center at 348-3863. If you are not a UA student, please contact your respective county's crisis service hotline or their local mental health agency or insurance company. If it is an emergency situation, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.
1: Brain Matters on 90.7 The Capstone. I'm BJ Gunther and we're talking tonight about ADHD and my guest is Dr. Tamara Rozier who wrote, it sounds like a fascinating book. And I know, I know there are a lot of books out there about ADHD, but yours is titled Your Brain's Not Broken Strategies for Navigating Your Emotions and Life with ADHD. Um, How long did it take you to write the book and when was it released? Yes.
2: Uh it was released September 21. And I wrote it during lockdown. Can you believe it? Yeah. Um <laughs> no, time, not really, but yeah. During that time I had three uh COVID three times. I had sinus infections. I was just a hot mess. I don't That's know how horrible. I, I don't know how I wrote a book, to be honest. I'm just gonna be honest. So um I'm working on the second book right now. Um and do yeah. you do do you do workshops with the book have you thought about that i i do uh yes there's actually a workbook being released um that's not three that's not for three years out oh. um gotta, gotta wrap up my next book first so um yeah and my next book is on how to family when you have adhd
1: it, so you're the the first book, the one that we're talking about tonight. It's mainly for people who have been diagnosed, not necessarily cl- clinicians.
2: Uh, it's not really. Um, I have a lot of therapists who recommend it to their yeah. uh, their uh, clients, patients. Yeah, yeah. Um, however, I wrote it for the ADHD person. And the feedback I'm getting is, you know, I get emails. I have the best readers in the world. um, But they're like, I cried when I read this. I saw it hit home, didn't it? It hit home. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I don't leave them there. Right. You know, I try to offer hope. Yeah. Um, And so uh, but I did also write it kind of with the neurotypical, the person without ADHD, being able to read it and follow it.
1: uh, Just. So that the like a family member could learn that's about what I was ADHD. gonna say. That would be a good educational tool for parents. Yes. No, but like you said when we first started talking, you said most likely somebody in your family has ADHD or explain when you do this, explain the difference between ADHD, ADD. Is there a combined type? I think yeah. there is. Yeah. So it's all called ADHD these days. Okay.
2: Um, and you guys know this, but um, in order to diagnose, we use something called the Diagnostic Style or the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. Statistical Manual. DSM, I got wow, it. Wow, I glitched it. I know, it's been a long day. Yeah, thank you. Um, thanks for getting my back right away with that. Um, <laughs> the problem is, we call that the DSM. The DSM is at least 20 years behind. On what research says about ADHD. Isn't that something? And probably a lot of other things too. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even want to think about other things. I mean, yeah. So, um, for example, uh, emotional dysregulation is one of the biggest problems of having ADHD. And the DSM doesn't even mention it. Well, holy oh, cow, that's a big problem. That's a big problem. So getting accurately diagnosed is is becoming problematic and we're hoping the dsm will kind of pick up on this
1: talk now you mentioned you just brought this up and you know i i know a little bit about this because i send people to get testing what is um the typical testing that's used is is there a definitive test for adhd or is it a battery of tests i've had some doctors that i've sat in with some psychiatrists that just use checklists I know. Tell me. who? <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> scary. I mean, so, I'm just going to keep saying that. Yeah, it, it is scary
2: Um, because here's the problem. Edie, she can mimic other things. Big time. Yes. Right?
1: Anxiety. I mean, think about it. Mm-hmm
2: yeah, so it, it's a huge problem. and so uh, really, the gold standard is to look at ADHD from several through several lenses. So not just a checklist. Uh, we want different um instruments.
1: Here's the problem. there's not one test for ADHD right right. And I try to explain that to people. So it, it's kind of confusing a little bit to me because how how do you how do you definitively, Determine that it is ADHD. You're looking for certain criteria. Yes.
2: So um, I have a good friend. Uh, he's uh, an MD who focuses on um, ADHD folks and medicating. And he said, "Well, you can't say definitively someone has ADHD. Yep. You can only say they don't not have it." Interesting. And and you know, if those stats uh, students who are listening you you understand um uh, why you use that double thing so in,
1: in all excuse me in all the years that I've seen students I've only had one student who did the testing and was not diagnosed in mm-hmm. that yeah. I think that's well, odd <laughs> you know well you know we deal with that at our center
2: um and so we have to work work with that because if they come to the ADHD center because they're like gosh I think I have ADHD we find ADHD well that that's reasonable that we would find it but we uh we actually have a great um therapist here who does do differentials and we run a differential diagnosis because we have to think well is it narcolepsy I mean what if there's a sleep disorder here that can work with and look like
1: ADHD. And look like ADHD. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I will be honest, though, if there's a family history of ADHD, I am very likely to consider ADHD. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, Barclay um, is putting out numbers like if dad has ADHD, between 80 and 90 percent likelihood a child could have it.
1: And sometimes, you know, sometimes when I interview our students, and Catherine probably can support this too, the first time I interview a student, a lot of times they don't know. You know, they, they don't know if their family has any mental health is- issues, and especially if it's ADHD. Right. Yeah.
2: Um, you know, when I was in college, uh, I was undergrad um, and I was in teacher education. And I called uh, my dad and said, "Dad, I'm reading about this thing. Now, remember, I'm I'm super old, so this was like the '80s, right? Yes. '80s. Um, she was. Quite I'm young. there with you. <laughs> Greatest decade ever. <laughs> well, I just want to, you know, stay real for your listeners. Like this was not yesterday, folks. No. <laughs> um, but it, it, you know, I said, you know, there's this thing I'm reading, and back then it was called ADD. Yep. And I'm like, it's ADD, and I read the symptoms. I'm like, wow, this sounds like what we have. And my dad said, "No, no, that's a made-up thing." That's oh, yeah. Real. Everyone thinks like this. Yeah. And I'm like, "Oh, okay." And then guess what? I became a teacher, and you know who I was great at teaching? Those at-risk students. Oh, I bet. Oh, by the way, they all had ADHD. I <laughs> spoke language. Yeah. And so it was like such an easy. By the way, uh, I don't know if you know this, but ADHD people link up, and we we all it's like we almost have our secret language. Yeah. Um, you'll see us talking more quickly, filling in each other's. Um, I, I see it all the time in the uh, in my office and the neurotypical person will go, wait, I what don't are they talking about? It yes. Yes. <laughs> it's like you're
1: in the twilight zone. Yeah. And I don't think some people probably realize that. I bet some students I'll have to ask if they do that, if they if they link up with other friends. Um, the other thing, though,
2: we do is. Um, we can emotionally arouse each other. And so if you ha- you ask a, one of your clients like, well, who in your family do you fight with the most? It's usually the ADHD parent really, hmm. because then we're trying to, oh your reader, or your listeners can't watch my hands yeah. but escalate. Yeah. But what we ha- what happens is we escalate one another. And uh, so ADHD folks are the best of friends and the worst of friends.
1: Almost like competitiveness. It, it, it's emotional competitiveness. Uh-huh. That's what it sounds like. One of the articles I read said that, um, I'm just going to read this point from the article that said anyone can, re- and you tell me if you agree or disagree, anyone can receive an ADHD diagnosis at any point during their lives. However, symptoms of ADHD must be present by the age of 12 to receive a diagnosis such a diagnosis. While some people may not know they have ADHD until adulthood, the condition must have developed in childhood for a diagnosis. I don't know if, I don't know about that. What do what do you think? I, I'm I'm glad you're suspicious of that.
2: So here's here's why the DSM states that, right? But the problem with this is let's take, and I'm positive some of your listeners fall into this. They're incredibly bright incredibly hardworking, and they're just going to muscle that I had a daughter like this their way through school so it doesn't show up before 12 you know when it showed up for my oldest uh last year in
1: college Ooh, like 20 or 21 yeah how did how did can I ask you this and and this is the term I use how did she hit the wall I and you know what that's I use the same thing We all, every ADHD person
2: will hit the wall at some point and go, oh crap, I'm not playing with my neurological rules and this is the problem. You're right. Yeah, that's exactly it. I use the same terminology. So- this is a nice. If you don't mind, um, if I tell you the six bad tools. People oh use. yes, please do. Um,
1: I was going to get to that, but we got off on a tangent. Oh, that's that.
2: okay, because it goes in with my daughter. I'll just pick on her. I don't think she'll listen, and you know, I'll ask for forgiveness later. Yeah, I did write her butter in the book, so I think it was a like um. <laughs> she so, you. um, so here are the six bad tools. So, if you know ADHD people don't have reliable access to their prefrontal cortex. And so if your listeners kind of tap their forehead, that's where your prefrontal cortex is. That's like that calm, rational butler that says, Hey, let's just do the next thing. ADHD folks don't have that. Mm. And frankly, we're poor at sequencing activities. So what we do is we go to a different part of the brain called the limbic center And we kind of rely on, we're like, we're method actors going, what's my motivation here? (laughs) And so we try to kind of find an emotion to motivate us. Interesting. And so when my daughter hit the wall, I saw all the emotions motivating her. So the first one is anxiety. Um, And smart young women will use, and I say women specifically, because they'll get misdiagnosed with uh, generalized anxiety disorder. Yep. Yep. Um, but they're really using anxiety as gasoline. They scare themselves out of bed in the morning just to do it. Oh my gosh. That, my friend is anxiety yep. being used to motivate. Oh. Right. Is it because it's such a struggle? Uh, oh yes. Um, That's what it is. Initiation is so difficult yep. every day yep. and it's just exhausting. So so that, that's why um, a lot of people are using anxiety. You see test anxiety, social anxiety, all the anxieties. Mm-hmm. Um, if you kind of ask the questions, you'll get to
1: that this is kind of used as momentum to get something done. Oh, my gosh. And I'm sitting here thinking how many how many students have been misdiagnosed with you GAD? Yep. Oh, my gosh. So what's the second one?
2: OK, the second one is avoidance. I hear this all the time with my students. Uh, Now, my daughter didn't do this one, but it's, hey, I have a huge exam. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go clean my sock drawer. Oh, gosh.
1: I call it distraction.
2: Would it be the same thing? Same same exact thing. I I called it distraction. That was a better word for it. (laughs) You're avoiding what you really have to do. To get the short term dopamine fix. Uh-huh. Because uh-huh. now you open the drawer, look how pretty it is. I've literally have oh. pictures of a sock drawer in my text because they're like,
1: Yeah, I didn't study, but look how pretty. I, I lined them up in rainbow colors. Right. That sounds like that book that I mean, I'm sidebar, it's a crazy book, but it's the life-changing, what is it? The, you know, the book by Marie Kondo. Kondo. Uh- uh, Somebody who is ADHD, mm-mm, no.
2: That's exactly it. And so, so that's really unfortunate how, <laughs> how, how we will do something else, distraction. Yeah. 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 Yep. And so the next one is procrastination. And all your listeners know that one. We use it
1: like it's our job. Well, and a lot of students, that's the reason they will come in here sometimes. The two reasons I think are the most popular reasons to get somebody in here would be procrastination and sleep problems. Okay. Every ADHD person
2: has a sleep issue. Every ADHD person has a sleep issue. Oh, my god! don't know how to go to bed, when to go to bed, or how to turn off our brains. Right. But or we can't that, see. Is that, that one of the six? No, that's not one of the six. Uh okay. that's, that's a freebie I just threw in there. Wow, but but that's something we need to talk about. Yeah, yeah. And your 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 clients are messing this one up big time, mm-hmm. and this will make our ADHD a lot worse. So, so procrastination is when you kind of it's like you have a campfire, and you're just watching it, and you're leaving it unattended until it becomes a raging forest fire and then i we love it
1: i love that analogy
2: all this adrenaline and then we're the heroes of our own story i mean i've had students come in want a high five because they're like you know, i sit up all night doing this paper in a night <laughs> even though i had all semester to do it i'm sticking it to the man <laughs> and that's oh. procrastination you yeah. got high
1: off of procrastination Well, and it's puzzling to me because it's just so – to me, it's so obvious. Like, for me, if I procrastinate, it stresses me out so much. So, to avoid the stressing out, I do what I need to do and get it over with, and then I can enjoy my night, blah, blah, blah. You've heard that. And that's what's puzzling to me is they don't get an enjoyment out of that. So, when we work on tactics or strategies to help with procrastination – I don't know. Sometimes it doesn't work because they're not getting that, what you're talking about, that like instant gratification. Right. Well, and remember,
2: this isn't a logical decision. So what, what you just said just demonstrated neurotypical thinking. Yes. You are the poster child. Exactly what you said. This is neurotypical thinking. Yes. Now I would be like, okay, okay, I have this pr- paper. I don't want to do this paper. This paper makes me feel yucky. I don't want to do this paper. Why did I even take this class? I'm not even sure I like the professor. You know what? I did <laughs> like the way she looked at me that one day. And I and you
1: go hate. down the rabbit hole.
2: Yeah. So I, I'm conjuring up all these feelings. Now I might still do the paper out of spite because I hate this professor so much. Yes. That I decided on an emotional basis to do this paper and because I can. Yep. that's the that's the fourth one that's anger. In other words, I'm just conjuring all kinds of anger. True story. I made it through some of my PhD classes uh like that but we don't need to go into those details but that's another um, session I'll always yeah. say. that's another session for the art of spite just to get good grades um and again not hey, it's a motivator. it's a motivator. Anger motivates. But the problem is it takes so much energy to yes, do it. This. Does. Oh yeah. Whereas you go, hey, guess what? Yeah. I'm going to do this and then I'll reward myself by yeah, watching TV. Yeah. That's task initiation reward. And instead we do this kind of convoluted dance with emotion. So the last two very quickly are shame and self loathing. Self loathing. Is that what you said? Yeah. And the, remember, in a motivational way. So I am going to shame myself into doing it. Like, darn it, I know I have to do this assignment. And Tamara, you didn't do the other one on time. And I'm so mad at you. And it's like, mm-hmm. I, I'm shaming myself. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes. And then the last one is self loathing. And this is so horrible. Um, self loathing is when I literally hate myself into
1: mm-hmm. doing something. No, I hear that. I know you do as, as I there, hear that. I know you catch the self-loathing a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And it it's really kind of hard to I mean, you can't talk somebody out of that. Do you know what I mean? You just can't talk them out of that. They have to start. They have to start being able to produce. I don't know any other way to say it, to build that self-esteem. And then that self-loathing dissipates so, a little bit. It's a coping mechanism. Mm hmm.
2: Um, and I and I'm, yep. I'm just gonna be really honest. Um, and I I hate this, but I didn't understand how deeply I hated myself for years, mm-hmm. just to motivate myself. Yeah,
1: because it, because were you were you looking at it like you were a failure? Oh, <laughs> I was a failure. I already screwed up. Yeah, yeah. I but it it'll was never all, be fixed. That kind I'll of never. Fixed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I missed a break, Catherine. I'm sorry, <laughs> were you holding up? We just, uh, this is so fascinating. I feel like there's so much to talk about that an hour's not even gonna do it, you know, but we'll, we'll do our best. So let's take another quick break and come back. And um, I haven't even checked to see if there's any emails. Let me check when we're in the break to see if there's any emails. So come back, you're listening to Brain Matters on 90.7 The Capstone. Uh, we'll be right back. WVUA-FM, Tuscaloosa.
0: This show is not a substitute for professional counseling and no relationship is created between the show host or guests and any listener. If you feel you are in need of professional mental health and are a UA student, we encourage you to contact the UA Counseling Center at 348-3863. If you are not a UA student, please contact your respective county's crisis service hotline or their local mental health agency or insurance company. If it is an emergency situation, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.
1: brain matters i'm dr bj gunther we're talking tonight about adhd and i don't think we talk about it enough it's been a long time since i've had this topic we're talking about the book your brain's not broken strategies for navigating your emotions in life with adhd and the author is dr tamra rosier tamra is the um founder of the adhd center of west michigan tell me how long that's been in existence how did you do this (laughs)
2: uh you know in the most adhd way possible uh i i didn't set out to be a business owner i'm an english major guys so (laughs) i didn't do any of this on purpose uh i was at i was kind of looking to get out of higher ed and i was having lunch with someone and it happened to be my friend who is the adhd doctor and he said you'd make a great adhd coach and i said really is that a thing? <laughs> and so today I can tell you it is a thing. I'm the president of the Edishi coaching organization. Wow. Um it's a it's a relatively new field. So I started off by myself. And then I decided I don't like working alone. And there's too many there's too many people that need help. And I really do like leading teams. And so I started recruiting people. And I've got to tell you, I'm so proud of the team at the ADHD Center. Um, I love them. They're they're great. They're good for people. And um, a lot of times at the center, we talk about, we hold the hope for people until they can hold it themselves.
1: That's good. That's a good. So we have coaches, of- therapists. Yeah, all kinds. Well, and them. we have a real issue here in our city, which it's not tiny, but, and we're a sub, not a suburb, but we're about 50 miles from Birmingham. Tuscaloosa is where we are. And um, it's so difficult to find um, testing, people to do yes. testing. They're so backed up. The wait list is ridiculous for most people. And we end up either referring them back to their hometowns where they've come from, or either to Birmingham, usually, or sometimes. And it's just very, that's very challenging. Yeah,
2: I, it is, it's, it's really a mess right now. And yeah, now just a caveat, uh, our therapists can only, and you know, this um, diagnose in the state of Michigan because that's where they're licensed. So
1: yeah, we, we don't, we don't have that capabilities e- either for right now, as far as I know. Catherine, Catherine and I were talking about this yesterday, actually. And maybe I'm wrong. Is it true for the psychologists here in Alabama, Catherine? Do you know about diagnosing? About yeah. Um, I think the psychologists can, but even like licensed social workers, technically we can't diagnose in the state of Alabama period for any yeah. of that, even though we, we care for insurance. Yeah, but. we can't either. We, yeah. we, we, we use diagnostic impression mm-hmm. is what I'm a licensed professional counselor. Um, let's take one email question, Tamara, the, this is an interesting one and one that you can speak to because you're like me. We didn't grow up with techno- a lot of technology, and we come <laughs> into technology. This question is: How is technology changing the way we test for ADHD? That's more specific. I was just, I just saw technology, and I just thought, well, how is technology helping with ADHD? There's two questions right there. Yeah. So um, I love, I love the listener's question because
2: that is a great question. Um, there are more and more accurate. Um, Test for executive function. And so at our center, we use the QB test, mm-hmm. which is great for testing executive functions. Now, as I just said, though, there's a lot of other parts to ADHD. Yes. So we're getting really good at, through technology, being able to look at executive functions. Wow. Um, and we're able to do it cheaper and cheaper right? Um, in fact, something we're doing at the center is, hey, your medication isn't working. Let's test it. Let's test your executive functions on this medication. Um, and that we can do actually across state lines. But um, the diagnostic part of the emotional observation and the emotional dysregulation that still has to be done through interviewing.
1: Yes. What do you know and what do you think of genetic testing for ADHD? I've read a little bit about it. Yeah. Just wondered about it. So,
2: you know, this is an interesting area. I'm following it very closely um, because there's a strong hereditary link. Um, I had a i I was talking to an anesthesiologist who has ADHD, right? She's one smart cookie. Um, and she said, "I, Tamara, I can't believe this. In medicine, if we saw anything above a 0.1 correlation, we'd pay attention. Mm-hmm. And ADC has at least a 0.6 or higher. So, so this is about darn time we're looking at this. Yes. Now, the the problem is, and the thing I'm going to caution everyone on is, we don't really understand DNA yet. We are still just in the early, early years. Yes. So some of us have like an MTHFR uh, gene variation, a lot of ADHD folks have it. We shouldn't use that to tell if you have ADHD or not. So we we really have to be very, very careful. Um, I still think back at the top of the hour when we were talking about you really want to look for ADHD from a multiple uh it's it's from it perspective.
1: Well, and two, a lot of our therapists around here are getting credentialed in EMDR. Yes. That's a form of therapy. Eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, I think is what it is. What do you think about that treatment? That's a non-medication treatment. Yeah, I have heard because I've had a couple of shows about EMDR and one of the things they talk about is what all does it treat? You know, what all can it help? What do you think about EMDR? I love it. Uh, We have a therapist
2: here who is excellent at it and we have seen reduction in symptoms. So here's why EMDR works. Theory by Tamara Rosier. (laughs) That's the asterisk, okay? Disclaimer. (laughs) Disclaimer. (laughs) Okay. So remember I said we we can't reliably access the prefrontal cortex, but EMDR kind of skips that part of the brain and says, hey, let's go back to the part that doesn't really have language. Wow. And that's where ADHD um, heavily rely on, right? The emotional centers. I think it is the most promising uh, thing we've seen in ADHD detreatment since
1: medication i think you're right and a lot of people at first are kind of um tentative yep about it especially when when i i do a terrible job of explaining it and i it, people look at me and i'm like it's not hypnosis because when you start explaining it i can right. see how it would sound like that it's, yep. not, it's not witchcraft it's not sorcery <laughs> um, it, it works in a, yes, <laughs> and it's not really that new. No, it's not it's at really all. Not. There's a lot of evidence-based research to um, support MD, uh, EMDR. So go research it on your own if you're listening. Okay, here's another question. We, you talked a little bit about new, any new treatments or medication available. Can you expand a little more on that of the newer treatments? That I mean, we mentioned EMDR. You mentioned some newer medications, but what else? So so here's our thinking Uh,
2: what we want to look at. And I know a lot of people who choose not to treat their med- their ADHD through medication. OK, that's a legitimate choice. The message I want to get to the, out is. You live in a modern world. Your brain is ill adapted for the modern world because of all the pressure on the prefrontal cortex. Yes. The prefrontal cortex tells you what to do. How to do it and when to do it. And as long as those demands are there, you need to find a way to meet meet them. Not everyone has to take medication to meet that, but but using weed, alcohol to slow you down your brain. Let's that's not a thing, guys. It's actually going to make your ADHD and anxiety worse. Yes, and I know that's not popular to say, but um, I have so many clients who go, no, no, no weed help slow my brain down yes it does sir but guess what happens
1: right afterwards it revs it right back up and it might be worse when it revs it back exactly. up exactly it takes them a minute sometimes to put the two together because exactly. they think oh my gosh i'm so anxious they don't get that you know yep. um speaking of anxiety what do you t- what would you tell a therapist like myself about i don't know how to ask this about the we've already said there's some similar symptoms and characteristics for adhd and anxiety what are some key things to look for that you know is the difference does that make sense absolutely so a lot of times
2: uh adhd folks can look like they have generalized anxiety disorder bipolar
1: Um, psychoticism
2: yeah sometimes Mm -hmm. yeah exactly so So what I I try to see is, um, does the person feel like or look like they're working really hard to do normal things? Yeah. Um, In other words, is there a disparity in how hard they're working? And by the way, that college daughter I was talking about, there was a big disparity. She was working so hard to look normal, to get laundry done. You know, those mundane tasks around the world. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I'm talking about, us being ill-adapted for the modern world. I mean, we can look like geniuses. I know. Creative. Yeah. Ask me to work with my calendar. I'm like, oh, this is the hardest math I'm doing right now. And mm-hmm. then they add a time zone into it. And I'm befuddled. Yeah. Right. That would be a sign that I have ADHD. So the the having feelings about a mundane task. See you, VJ guess what you do in your beautiful neurotypical brain? You just do the laundry. Yeah, You don't conjure up a reason no. to do it. No. You just go. No, somebody's got to do it. it. <laughs> right. and, and yet I will be like, oh gosh, you know what? I'm going to put in a load of towels first. I like towels. I like unfold. I like <sighs> dry the towels. I like,
1: I-, I put in all this emotional effort. It's almost like you're over reasoning with yourself hundred percent yeah you're over reasoning trying to talk yourself out of how to not do it yeah or to do it or to do it right
2: and so whereas neurotypical you just have this it's a straight line you're just going here there i'll just pretty do boring, pretty pretty white toast <laughs> so i i really think as a as a therapist i would just look for that kind of reasoning behind the, those mundane tasks Like, oh, I can't get my laundry done. Well, tell me about that. And a lot of times they'll diagnose themselves.
1: Yeah. um, You know, it's really weird. You mentioned diagnosis again, because and testing, we were talking about testing. I remember sitting in with a psychiatrist one time. And he just saw children. He was a child psychiatrist. So I was sitting in with him one time and the mother was in there with the child and he asked the mother, how does the child react when he drinks um, caffeine? And the mother's like, he doesn't have a reaction. He doesn't get hyped up like other kids and everything. And the, the psychiatrist told me later, he's like, it's not an official diagnostic, diagnostic tool, but it, really money on it tells you a lot. Yep, that's exactly. So you know what hypes up other people makes
2: me calm and focused. And so I and and by the way, I'm sure a lot of your clients are self medicating yeah. with Red Red Bull. Oh, Monster Red Monster, Bull. Yep, whatever else they can get their hands on. And I, and so I, I just I, I want your listeners to understand if if you're doing that. Already, that's not good for your body. They'll wear just wear and tear on your body. I know you're young. Don't do it. <laughs> if you could, instead, um, get medicated, it's easier on your on your
1: body. It's easier. Do you um, find that a lot of people who have, I guess, undiagnosed ADHD, um, lean towards substance abuse? Uh, we do. <laughs> and
2: this is so sad, and this is why I get a it's little bit going. This isn't a gift. In fact, do you know the research on ADHD untreated? Uh, this is Russell Barkley's research. We live 13 years less than our cohort. 13 years is a lot.
1: Just and so because why? My...
2: What's the reasoning? Uh, well, first of all, he just did the longitudinal research, right? Um, the reason is whatever neurotypicals have more of, we have less of inverse uh-huh. is true. Whatever neurotypicals have less of, we have more of. So let's just take diabetes okay Type 2 diabetes is on the rise in this country. if you're neurotypical, that can be managed through diet and exercise sure, every time, sure. right But now let's say you you're ADHD and you tend to have an addictive personality, and you're like, but I want potato chips and chocolate right now, right? And yes. and so there's that. There's also um, risky behavior, just getting males through the teenage years. Yeah. Um, I I it is so tragic how many males have died. Yes, that I know of with ADHD that was untreated. Mm-hmm. So it's that's why I get a little feisty about. It's not a gift, guys. This is a serious neurological difference. Yes. yes. Because it's dangerous to be ADHD untreated. And again, untreated doesn't mean you have to be medicated, means you're addressing it somehow.
1: That's right. And that you know you have it too yes yes gosh Tamara, this hour has gone by it's flown by and if you've noticed i didn't get to hardly any of the questions that i sent you <laughs> <the> show <laughs> because because your answers would lead to more questions in my head so i thank you so much for being on the show this is wonderful and it really it sounds like wonderful work that you're doing i mean do you have a wait list yourself you know, uh, center, yeah. yeah. I, I'm not taking
2: new clients this year because yeah. I'm working on that little thing called a book, yeah. Uh, and Is run your a business, and, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I there are ADHD coaches, so you know, if your students are looking for ADHD coaches, they don't have to come to the ADHD center, we do have coaches here, but you could go to ADHD coaches or organization, mm-hmm. um, um, ACO. Um, that's a place. There's a whole list of coaches there. You can check out and find it. Um,
1: a coach. Wonderful. I didn't even know. Thank you so much. What about um, your book? Your this book is released, and it is. Can you buy it just anywhere? Amazon, anywhere. You Wherever can, books book are book sold. sellers. Yeah. Uh, so have you got a website? Your website. A personal website. What is it? Yep. It's tamararozier.com. Okay. And that's spelled R
2: O S. I E R. I E R. Yeah. Or you could just go to Amazon. Your brain's not broken. Um, not that Amazon needs me to plug them, but you know.
1: Well, and, and go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> no pun intended. Thank you. Thank you so much again for being on the show. Don't forget, our shows are recorded and podcasted on the Apple Podcast, audioboom.com, and voices.ua.edu. You can just type in Brain Matters and you'll find some of our past shows. There's also a link to voices.ua.edu on the Counseling Center's website at counseling.ua.edu. And um, I like to thank the people who've made our show possible. First of all, Dr. Greg Vanderwall, a Grand Rapids, Michigan um, hometown boy. He's the executive director at the Counseling Center. Terry Siggers from the Office of Student Media, my production assistant, and my colleague, Catherine Howell, my other colleagues at the Counseling Center, the WVUA staff who help us edit the show every week, and my guest tonight, Dr. Tamara Rozier. Join us next week um, where we're going to have another very interesting and timely topic college athlete mental health so tune in we'll be here same time same place same station next week thanks again for listening to brain matters and good night
0: This show is not intended as a substitute for professional counseling. Further, the views, opinions, and conclusions expressed by the show hosts or their guests are their own and not necessarily those of the University of Alabama, its officers, or trustees. Any views, opinions, or conclusions shared on the show do not create a relationship between the host or any guest and any listener, and such a relationship should never be inferred. If you feel you are in need of professional mental health and are a UA student, please contact the UA Counseling Center at 348-3863. If you are not a UA student, please contact Contact your respective county's crisis service hotline or their local mental health agency or insurance company. If it is an emergency situation, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.